Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 8. Just realized that some of our visitors may not know that I'm married to the best looking drummer in town and think that's really weird that he's just talking about her that way. Well, I'm weird. John chapter 8, we are going to uh, focus on verses 39 to 47, but I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 31 to catch us up in the context. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free... You will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God, for this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. So read the words of the living God. Our Father, we gather this morning and we ask that your spirit would open our hearts, give us ears to hear the truth. Would you draw glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ? For those of us who are your sons, your children, remind us of your work of grace in our heart. 
that brought us to that place. For anyone here who is not yours, would today be the day of salvation and hearing the words of Christ. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So it's good to be back with you. We were gone for a couple of weeks. Last week we were on vacation. The week before, Krista and I were in Orlando along with some others for our general council, which is the, uh, the national convention of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Every two years we meet, and I told you about this, that uh, we have hours of business meetings, which everybody loves. That's what we look forward to, as well as worship services and, and other things. It's a, it's a good time. Uh, I wasn't sure we were going to make it to Orlando. We flew out on Tuesday morning, or we were supposed to fly out on Tuesday morning at 6.40 a.m. in Denver, so we had to get up at oh dark hundred to uh, head up there, and we get a text before 4 o'clock saying our flight was canceled. Yeah, oh, it was not, yeah, that's, I think that's what I said. Um, and, and so then I got online to see that all of the flights from Denver to Orlando were full for the rest of the day. So I looked around and found a flight out of Colorado Springs directly to, uh, not directly to Orlando, but through Atlanta to Orlando, leaving at 6.15. So we went and woke Abby up, said, congratulations, you win. You have to drive us to the airport. And then we still had to figure out how we're going to get home from DIA because our return flight was back to DIA. But well, we'll worry about that next week. Uh, so we, we drive to uh, Colorado Springs Airport, and we get on the flight, and we're sitting there, and the speaker, the, sir, the, the captain comes on, says, your captain speaking, and I'm sorry to uh, let you know, but we have a flat tire, and if there is a tire in Colorado Springs, we'll be about an hour before we leave. If we have a tire in Colorado Springs? So got off the plane and uh, hung out in the lobby, and uh, I'm watching, uh, you know, they have the big windows where you can see the planes, I'm watching as the uh, two guys are trying to change this tire, and one guy has this big instruction manual, he's just flipping pages, like, <laughs> it's a tire for crying out loud, I think I can change a tire, and, and, and then he finally throws his hands up like this, like, oh no. <laughs> Three hours later, we fly to Atlanta, and then we have a you know, two-hour delay there, and finally get into Orlando at just about the time of the opening ceremony. So we're hungry, we're tired, we're grumpy, it was, you know, now we're supposed to praise Jesus. Um, it, was, it was a good time. And then we had to figure out how to get back, and uh, we, we got a, a text, no, we didn't get a text, I, I went to check in on the uh, flight on my app, and we were supposed to leave Orlando at 2.40, have a direct flight to DIA, it says you're leaving at 1.10 through Connecticut. You all have a map, right? You know how this works. We, instead of being four hours in the air, we were going to be eight hours in the air with a brief stop in Connecticut. Yeah. So we walked up the nice person at the uh, ticket counter at the airport. We tried online. Had uh, Alicia and Rebecca trying to, and they couldn't get anything done online. We walked up to the nice person at the ticket counter and said, you've canceled two of my flights. Please don't make me stay eight hours in the airplane, in the, in the, in the air. And they got us a direct flight uh, back, and it was good. Oh, so it's good to be back. <laughs> we got back to Colorado Springs to the place where we live. We love Colorado Springs. We've been here 20 years, our 20, uh, into our 21st year here in Colorado Springs. This is our home. This is our dwelling. This is uh, the place where we abide. All right, that's a word we use in our language. We abide. If we invited you to our home this afternoon for Father's Day and for Christmas birthday, you're all invited to our home this afternoon. If, if we did, we would say, <laughs> we would say, welcome to our humble 
abode, right? It's a form of the word abide. Uh, where you abide is the place where you settle down and you stay there. We visited Orlando. And while we were there, we went to Disney World. By the way, go to Disney World without your kids. Highly recommended. That's the way to do Disney World. But and we were happy to visit Disney World. It was great. in Orlando and the heat and humidity, we were happy to visit Orlando for a week or so and then come home to the place where we dwell, where we're settled in, where we stay. Well, Jesus used this word abide in the passage that I read to you at the very beginning. He says, you are to abide in my word. Now, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. He doesn't mean simply abide in the Bible, though that's where we find his word, but it's not like if you're doing a good job with your Bible reading plan, you're abiding in the Word. It's not that. It's truly living in, dwelling in, settling in what he has said, what he requires, and who he is. It's, it's abiding in Christ and obeying his commands and seeking to please him, those kind of things. And he, he says there are three results that will happen if you abide in my Word. The first one, he said, was you will be my true disciple. If you stay connected to Christ and his commands, his instructions, who he is, you will truly be his disciple. That makes sense because a disciple, by definition, is a learner. You're the student learning from the professor, from the rabbi, from the teacher. And a true disciple does not just visit the teaching of the teacher doesn't just dabble and it doesn't just read one book. Reading one book of somebody does not make you their disciple. Sitting in on a class or two does not make you their disciple. It's when you abide, when you stay there and learn and learn and learn and then seek to implement what you've been taught and it's for the lifetime, for the long haul. Back in the early uh, days before Jesus even, you know, the, the big three philosophers, uh, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, some of these guys and others like them, they would have what were called peripatetic schools of philosophy where disciples would actually sign on and follow them around and commit to memory everything that the teacher says. Jesus was that kind of teacher, right? The disciples followed him quite literally to learn what he was saying and to, to, to be, be his followers. And that's what he means here. If you, if you stay his disciple, uh, if you abide in his word, rather, you are truly his disciple. If you just dabble in it, or if you get some things out of it, but then pursue another teacher, you're not truly his disciple. We have to remain permanently in his, in his word. And he says, if so, then you are truly my disciple. He also said you would be free from sin. Remember we talked about that. In Christ, as we remain true to Jesus, we have been freed from the power and enslavement of sin. You can overcome Whatever is tempting you, whatever those habits are, whatever those, when the enemy comes and tries to lead you astray, you have the freedom in Christ to say no to those things and follow Jesus on the straight and narrow path. You have that freedom in Christ. You are free from slavery to sin. Why? Because Jesus is the truth. He says it later on. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, you will know the truth if you abide in my word, and you will be free. And he says, you will be God's son. We talked about this last time, not God's daughter, ladies. You have been elevated to the status of sonship. 
Women did not inherit anything in the Old Covenant. The sons did. All believers, male and female, have now been elevated to co-heir with Jesus Christ. And we will dwell in God's house forever if we abide in his word. That's what he said. Well, the, uh, the Jews listening to this, especially the Pharisees, they didn't like this. Uh, they didn't like this at all, and I'm having a little technical problem here, so let me just, oh, there, no, I don't, good. Um, they didn't want to hear this because Jesus is basically saying, you all are slaves. You need to be freed. And they say, we are not slaves. Don't you know who we are? We are Abraham's children. We've never been enslaved in our life. Abraham is our father. They were insulted by the insinuation that they needed freedom. In fact, they took it up a notch. Did you notice in what I read? They said, not just that Abraham is our father, God is our father. You're calling into question whether Abraham's our father? We're going to say more than that. We are sons of God himself. Did you notice, as they were saying this, they slipped in the statement, we were not born of fornication. Remember what's going on here? What they're saying to Jesus is, who are you, Jesus, to talk to us about fatherhood? Who is your father, Jesus? Who is Jesus' dad? Joseph, right? When was Jesus conceived? Before or after Joseph and Mary were married? Before. Do you see what they're doing? See how they're throwing this back at Jesus? We know your history, Jesus. We were not born of fornication like you were. You have no right to talk to us about anything dealing with fatherhood. And by the way, our father is God. Jesus says, if your father was God, you would love me. Because I'm from God. He sent me. What I'm telling you is what he has taught me, what he has shown me. If you truly were from God, you would love me. You don't love me. In fact, just the opposite. You're trying to kill me. You're not of God at all. You have another father. So we need to talk about fatherhood here for a moment. In, in ancient lands, in the Bible times, fatherhood had more to do with merely biology and genetics. When the scripture speaks of fatherhood, when Jesus here speaks of fatherhood, he's not simply talking about our lineage. He knows and he acknowledges these people could trace their line back to Abraham genetically. The, the, the family tree would lead back to Abraham. But in the Bible, fatherhood has a lot more to do with behavior than genetics. Or it's, it's, be, it's genetics plus behavior. We saw that implied in a couple of things that he said. In verse 38, he says, I speak the things which I've seen from my father, so I, I do what I saw, saw my father do. You are doing the things you've heard from your father. See the emphasis on doing 
what you're doing shows who your father is. In verse 39, he said, when they say Abraham is our father, Jesus says, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Your, your actions demonstrate who your father is. Verse 41, he says, you are doing the deeds of your father, not Abraham, not God, but somebody else. So we, we see this, this constant usage of the word father and son to describe behavior. You do what you see your father doing. And this is lost on us a little bit in our culture because most of us men are not in the same vocation that our father was. How many of you men do what your dad did? Do I see really one hand, two hands, one going like this? Okay, one who's not sure, I don't know what that means. Most of us, most of us guys, don't do what our dads did for a career. That's relatively new in history. In ancient days, you were taught the skill, the ability that your father, you learned it from your father, and then you, you did it. So if your dad was a blacksmith, then you became a blacksmith because that's what you learned. And that's how you did it. If, you're, if your dad was a fisherman, then you would learn to fish and you would probably make your living fishing. You did what you saw him do. You acted like him. And we do see this even outside of a career. We see this uh, in various ways. I remember uh, several years ago, many years ago now, I was standing, leaning in, my, in a door jam at my home, kind of like this. And for some reason, I noticed, I mean, I can't do it exactly here, but I noticed the way I was leaning up against the door jam, and it occurred to me, huh, that's exactly how my dad leans in a door jam. And, and just re recently, I, had, I was laying on a couch with my hand on my, my wrist and my forehead like this. Why are you laughing? <laughs> and I realized that's exactly how my dad used to lay on the couch, with his wrist on his forehead like this. I don't know if any of you other guys do that, but I saw my dad doing it. We act like our fathers. Jesus, you remember, we were told he was a carpenter. His earthly dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. That's what he learned. So there's, there's, there's this connection in the scripture between what a father does and what the son sees the father doing, and then the son does that as well. That's that line behind this whole interchange uh, between G Jesus and these Pharisees. We see this in, uh, in 1 Samuel 2 here, where the scripture says the sons of Eli were worthless men. That's how usually it's translated. Actually, and I put it on here, it doesn't say worthless. It says, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. So the word worthless doesn't even occur in the text. But they acted like the devil. That's what Belial represents here. They were sons of the devil in their behavior. The sons of Eli were sons of the devil. We see this in other things, like if someone calls you a son of a gun, or other things I won't mention here. We, we see this in, in our culture. In the Beatitudes, remember this? Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? They will be called sons of God. Why? Notice it doesn't say they will be sons of God. They will be called sons of God. Why? Because God is the ultimate peacemaker. He sends his son to die on the cross so that we can have peace with him. And so when you and I engage in intermediating between hostile entities and we try to bring peace where there's warfare, 
we're acting like God. And in that sense, we're worthy to be called his sons because we're doing what the Father does. And then there's Jesus, who's called the son of David over and over again. Now, he is in the line of David, of course, but this idea of son of David means more than that. He's going to do what King David did. He's going to sit on the throne of Israel. He's going to reign in righteousness and and all of those things as we see this traced through. The idea of sonship is heavily bound up in doing what you see your father doing. And so Jesus says to these Jews, you have a father. It's not Abraham. It's not God. Because you don't act like Abraham You don't act like God. You act like your father, who's the devil. And how does he describe the devil? Murderer and a liar. Did you catch that? Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. You like it. You are seeking to be like your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks lies, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. That's the devil. He's a murderer and liar from the beginning. Think think back to what he's talking about. God creates Adam and Eve. Satan slithers up to Adam and Eve. And what does he do? He lies. What did God tell you, Eve? Oh, God said we shouldn't eat of that tree. Because if we eat of it, we will die. Satan says, no, you won't. You will not die. God is holding out on you. God is jealous. He's afraid that you'll become like him if you eat of that. You need to eat that, Eve. So you can be like God, a direct lie, a direct contradiction to the words of God. Remember how he started the whole interchange? Has God really said? Introducing doubt, and then wham, straight out lie. Well, what was the end result for Adam and Eve? Death. Because God had said, on the day you eat of it, you will die. Satan leads them with his lie into disobedience And though God showed them mercy on that day, he didn't kill them that day, they did eventually die. And all of us are going to die because Adam and Eve believed the lie of the murdering devil. And all mankind dies because Satan is a liar and a murderer. That's what he does. Jesus says there's no truth in him. His very nature is such that he can't speak truth. Now, he can speak truth when he's trying to deceive. It's not that he doesn't know truth, but his nature is such that his goal is to deceive and mislead everybody. He would love to see you abandon your allegiance to Christ and spend eternity with him in hell. He would love that. That's who he is. And here, Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus is saying to these Jews, You're acting like your father, who's a murderer and a liar, and there's no truth in him. That's who you are. 
Any wonder why they wanted him dead? Those kind of words. So we see here two categories. Two categories. Sons of God, slash Abraham, and sons of the devil. Sons of God love Jesus. So he says, if you're of my father, you love me. Sons of God love Jesus. Sons of God hear Jesus' words. Because you are sons of God, you're able to hear the words of Jesus, he says. Sons of God believe Jesus. They don't just hear the words, but they actually believe him, that he is who he says he is. And sons of God know the truth. We're free in that truth. We know him. Sons of the devil, they don't love Jesus. They hate him. And they want to see him dead, which the Jews have been trying already to do, and they will keep trying until finally they succeed when the hour comes. Sons of the devil cannot hear the words of God. He says that. You can't hear me because you're not of God. The devil has, has blinded you. They, they don't know it. They can't hear it. They, they, they cannot. They don't have the ability. We'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. Sons of the devil reject Jesus. They don't accept him as the Messiah. They don't believe that he is from God, that he's been sent from the Father. And sons of the devil tell lies because they're following their father. Now, there are three verses in this passage I read to you that are some of the most sobering verses, I believe, in the the entire New Testament. Look what he says in verse 43. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? He's been telling them over and over again who he is. He's been doing things that are inexplicable, like healing lame people, feeding thousands with a few loaves and fishes, walking across the top of the water, Uh, miracle after miracle after miracle, and he keeps saying, I'm from the Father, and he keeps telling them truth, and he asks the question, why do you not understand what I'm saying? What's the answer? Because you cannot hear my word. Notice he doesn't say, because you refuse to hear my word. Because you won't hear my word, it's not what he says. He says you cannot. You know what the word can is describing, right? It's describing ability. I cannot jump to the roof of this building or the ceiling for that matter. Can anybody in here jump to the ceiling? If you raise your hand, I'm going to give you the opportunity to prove yourself. Just, just fair warning. None of us can. Now, you're all, you know the difference between can and may. You all may jump to the ceiling. Feel free. You have my permission to jump to the ceiling. It's not a matter of permission. It's a matter, matter of ability. Jesus says, you cannot hear my words. Uh, My daughter, Abby, as uh, many of you know, is fluent in ASL, American Sign Language, and she spends a lot of her time with with deaf folks. And because they've learned to communicate through signs, and I was going to do some, but I actually can't do anything. Uh, 
um, because they've learned to communicate through signs, they have the ability to interchange ideas and that kind of thing. But imagine a deaf person who's never learned sign language and never learned to read lips. And you're talking and talking and talking and you're telling amazing things, describing wonderful things, telling them about God or all kinds of other wonderful things. And then they're not doing anything. They're not responding. They're, not, they're, 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 they're acting like they don't understand a word you're saying. You say, why can't you hear? Why can't you understand what I'm saying? The answer would be obvious, right? They literally cannot understand what you're saying because they can't hear. That is exactly the language Jesus is using for these Jewish people. You don't understand my words, not because you can't speak my language, but because you cannot hear what I'm saying. That's really sobering. Verse 45. After saying that he, the, the devil, is a liar from the beginning, he's the father of lies, it's his nature. Verse 45, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Did you catch that? Because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Let me flip those phrases around to help you catch the implication here. You do not believe me because I speak the truth. See that? Because you are of your father, who his own nature is to lie, because that's who you are, you're his offspring, you can't understand what I'm saying, and you don't believe what I'm saying, because I speak truth. And if you're of the devil, the truth doesn't land. You won't accept it can't. It's not your nature. It's not a matter of communication. It's not a matter of the, the, the one who's preaching and teaching here, Jesus, not as though he's vague and unclear. If you've uh, done premarital counseling with me or any kind of marriage counseling, you know that I like to hammer this issue home. There is only one marriage problem. One marriage problem. Somebody? Sin, selfishness, yes, I'll take either of those. The marriage problem that most marriage counselors focus on is what? Communication. Communication is never a marriage problem. You don't suddenly forget how to communicate when you get married. It's never about communication. You communicate just fine. I am not happy right now with you. I don't like you. And I don't listen to what you say anymore because I don't like what I'm hearing because I'm mad at you. That's not a communication issue. That's a sin issue. That's a heart issue. That's exactly what's going on here. It's not as though Jesus is a bad communicator. And if he just could put it better, more plainly, if he could just use better illustrations or had some evidence to back him up. No, it's none of that. They don't believe him because he speaks the truth. And their nature cannot accept truth. Hard words from our Lord. And the last one, verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear. Because you're not of God. If you were of God, you'd be able to hear what I'm saying. But you're not. 
of God you can't hear. You're deaf to the truth of God because you're not his. Strong words, harsh words. And this is one of the reasons they wanted him dead. So let's bring this to us, to you, to me. You realize the Bible says all of us were born in the same category as those Jewish people, as those Pharisees. Phrases like, you by nature are children of wrath. We were born into the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of sin, the kingdom of Satan. All of us were born into that family. We were born with the devil as our father, just like these folks were. You realize that, right? So how is it that you and I are sitting here today believing Jesus? Acknowledging that he speaks the truth. Hearing his words and it communicates to our hearts and our minds and our souls. What is different? How do we get from where we were to where we are? The scripture lays this out so plainly. It's because God took the initiative to pursue us, to bring us to himself. It's not our doing, it's his doing. This has always been the case. When you read through the Bible, you see everything that happens for good in the scripture and in human history, God has taken the initiative. Think about just the existence of the universe. Did the universe walk up to God one day and say, hey, God, I got an idea? No. God decided to create the universe, right? Did Adam go up to God and say, hey, God, why don't you make me the first man? Of course not. It's absurd. But how about Abraham. the father of the faithful, the great patriarch. Do we read through Genesis that Abraham, he's out in a field one day, he's praying because he had spent his whole life serving God and he says, hey God, I got an idea. This world is going to hell in a handbasket. How about you pick me and give me a seed, an offspring, and bless all the nations of the earth. What do you think? And God goes, oh, wonderful idea. No, do you know the story of Abraham? His father, we were told, was a moon worshiper. Probably made artifacts for other people to bow down and worship. Abraham, probably his first job was managing his dad's idol factory. And God shows up one day and says, Abraham, go. To the place I will show you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a great family. I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth in you. And Abraham simply went, okay. That was all God, not Abraham. How about Abraham's son, grandson, I should say, Jacob? 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Jacob is the third in line there. Did Jacob say, hey, God, I've got a wonderful idea. Why don't you make all of my children into a great nation? No. Jacob, he was a scoundrel. He wasn't pursuing the things of God. In fact, he shouldn't have been the one receiving the blessing at all. He had an older brother. And in that culture, the older brother got the blessing. God turned tradition on its head and said, I'd pick Jacob. God took the initiative. Well, how about the nation that came from Jacob, Israel? Did the Israelites call a meeting, a summit meeting with God at the temple? Hey, hey, God, come join us here. We have a great idea. Make us into your holy people. Choose us. No. God over and over again says, I chose you. Of all the nations on planet Earth, I chose you. I picked you. I decided to make you special to me. It was God's initiative, not the Israelites. Moses. So Moses is out one day, and he sees a burning bush and thinks, oh, God shows up in burning bushes. I'm going to go talk to him. No, that's not how it happened, is it? Moses is like, ah, that's weird. I'm going to check that out. And then God speaks. And Moses really doesn't want anything to do with this. Moses, I'm going to send you to my people and lead them out. No, 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 not me. Not me. I'm not your man. I don't talk so good. They don't like me, in case you hadn't heard. God says, no, you're my servant. Go. David? David was the runt of the litter. Had no business being king, had no business being anything. And God sends Samuel, and Samuel, you know the story, goes through the list, starts with the, the oldest one, the tall, handsome one, down the list, and, and goes through them all, and God says, no, 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 no. Finally, Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any other sons? Because God says one of your sons is going to be king, but they, uh, he's rejected all of these. Jesse kind of went, well, there's, there's David, but it can't be David. Yeah, it's David. David didn't show up and say, I sign up, make me king. Well, God chased him down. God pursued him. What about the whole plan to send Jesus? Did the world cry out to God, hey, we are sinners. Would you please send your son to die on the cross so we can have salvation? Is that what we did? It's all God, wasn't it? He pursued us. How about you? Are you the exception? You're the first person in history who was not born of the devil and you sprang out and said, God, you're so lucky. Take me as your son. No, somewhere along the line in your life, God said, I want you in my family. I'm taking you out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing you into the kingdom of my beloved son. I'm taking you away from the devil and now you're going to live in my house forever. God is the initiator always. All the great aspects of, of church history, of redemption, of everything, it's always God. And Jesus has been trying to teach this to the, to the disciples and the Pharisees over and over and over again. We're back in chapter 6, verse 44, he said this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
If you are sitting here as a believer today, it's because God the Father drew you to himself. And the, the people all reacted strangely to this. These are hard things. What are you talking about? He said it again in verse 65. For this reason I've said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted by the Father. If you are a Christian, rejoice. The Father has granted it to you to be his son, to come to Jesus. Back at the very beginning of John's gospel, months ago when we started this series, John in his prologue already set the table for this. He laid this out. Here's what he said in chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus, speaking of the word, Jesus, he came to his own, that was the Jews, and those who were his own did not receive him. And we've seen that over and over again, the Jews continually rejecting him. But as many as received him, so they didn't all reject him, some received. To them, he gave the right to be children of God. Do you remember how he goes on to describe this? So the children of God, the sons of God here, are those who believe in his name. They were born not of blood. That is, not simply because they're offspring of, of Jews, not offspring of, of Abraham, not, not because of our, our line, our ethnicity. Nor of the will of the flesh. Man, flesh, humans did not decide to become sons of God. They weren't born, uh, you didn't choose to be born in the, son, in the household of God. Again, how many of you chose to be born naturally? Nobody's raising your hand. You didn't decide you're going to exist now? No. Your father decided you were going to exist now, right? Well, that's what he says. Same thing with into God's household. You're not born of the will of the flesh. He gets more specific. Nor of the will of man. That's the will of a husband. You don't, get in, you don't become a child of God because you're the gleam in your daddy's eye. How do you become a child of God? You're born of God. If you are a Christian here today, it's because God is your father. And he decided to conceive you spiritually and give you new birth and bring you into his household and to cause you to abide in his word, to be free of slavery to sin, to be the disciple of Jesus, and to be his son forever in his household. God took the initiative. He did that for you. What is there left for us? Rejoice. Give thanks. I, I just love God's providence sometimes, how certain things jump out. This is Father's Day. This is not planned. I would, it wasn't planned by me. It's planned by God. I would love to say, you know, we worked this out so perfectly so I could preach the sermon on Father's Day. No, I didn't even think about it until this morning. I mean, look, I alluded to this earlier. Our culture is down on fathers and I was tempted, I really was, to preach a whole sermon on what the scripture has to say about fathers because fathers need to be encouraged today. We need to hold men up in high esteem for fatherhood. 
But there is a more important message for us today. We have a father who loves us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And he loves us individually so much that he picked you and me to be in his household. And he gave us new birth. The only thing left to do on this Father's Day is to rejoice in our Heavenly Father and to sing of his great grace. As we do that, as we close, we're going to sing the great hymn, And Can It Be? And I've asked uh, Meg to put up uh, one verse in particular that when we get here, I hope you will sing and raise the roof here. Can I use that expression today still? You know this verse, right? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Fast bound, chained up in sin. Next phrase. Thine eye, speaking of God, thine eye, we don't, thine, your, your eye diffused a quickening ray. And what happened? So I'm in sin, I'm bound in sin, I can't do anything, I'm laying there helpless, enslaved, and God sends down a, a lightning bolt, frees me of my chains, I woke, the dungeons flamed with light, next phrase, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed the amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would break the chains die for me that I could be yours. Music team come, church let's stand together and let's sing as our final prayer of the great grace and mercy of our good, good father.